With your help, we can continue to fight for freedom, reach new audiences, and bring important information to the public free of charge. This is not possible without your generosity. Join our quest for the truth and our freedom and donate today. Simply go to tntradio.live. This is the Sonia Poulton Show on today's News Talk, TNT. Hello and welcome to Monday on the Sonia Poulton Show on today's News Talk TNT. I hope you had a fabulous weekend. Thank you for being here with me, whether it's morning, evening or night, wherever you are, you are more than welcome. And we love hearing from you. Thank you for all your emails telling us who you would like us to have as guests on TNT. That's brilliant. We are currently wading through that. And if you would like to contact me, contact me at Sonia Poulton at tntradio.live. So where are we? Well, as I say, thank you for all your messages. Good morning, chat. Grand rising to you. Woot! To you too, Shug. Woot to you too. Yes, Joe Rogan is indeed earning mega bucks, isn't he, chat? Absolute mega bucks. I wanted to take you back slightly. Anyone remember the strange death of MI6 agent Gareth Williams? He was found in a bathtub in a holdall with zips padlocked together. Well, uh, so this was uh, 2010. Well, Scotland Yard have now concluded 14 years on that Mr. Smith, Mr. Williams, rather, was likely have to, to have died alone. Let me just get that straight. A man whose body was zipped and padlocked into a holdall was likely to have been alone when he died. Really? For those who don't know, Gareth Williams was a Secret Services code breaker. He went missing for a week and was found in his London flat in August 2010. That already was problematic because at Secret Services, it is a well-known fact that they actually say if somebody is missing from their desk for an hour, they check up on them. Why did it first of all take a week to check up on Gareth Williams? Well, this is an enduring mystery. So he was found dead, naked and decomposing in his flat. And even though it was the height of summer, someone had switched the heating up full blast so that his body was decomposing even faster. Now, over the years, I've heard many suggestions of what happened to Gareth after his death. Someone or something sought to tar his image in the mainstream media. They put out stories about his strange fetishes, which actually the coroner concluded wasn't there wasn't a great deal of truth to that. And certainly it would appear that it was a distraction to take away from the fact that his death was far from usual. Some people have told me that he had fallen on information that he shouldn't have while he was on secondment to the secret intelligence services from GCHQ. GCHQ is in Cheltenham. It's the government's listing post. But uh, Gareth was on secondment to the Vauxhall Secret Services. And Dr. Fiona Wilcox, who was the coroner, found the event far more suspicious than the police apparently have all these years on. She was critical about the police handling of the death, including allegations of mishandling evidence from the beginning. She actually rejected suicide or autoerotic activity. She was also highly critical of the police's counter-terrorist command who failed to tell investigating officers about the existence of memory sticks in Mr. Williams' flat, um, failed to take formal statements when interviewing security intelligence staff. And she actually suspected a cleanup job had taken place at Mr. Williams' bathroom where he was, where I say he was found. There were no fingerprints or prints anywhere, which in itself was highly significant. Colin Sutton is a former Metropolitan Police detective. I've interviewed him for my Madeleine McCann documentaries. 
And he was actually one of the first on the scene. And he's he took the call about Gareth. And Colin said that there was a possibility of tension between the police and the secret services. And uh, and that has continued, really. I also, last night, I spoke with Andrea Davison. She's a former Secret Services Intelligence Officer. She's in South America these days. And uh, for, for a number of reasons, including staying alive, she appears in my film, Paedophiles in Parliament. And she actually gave me a statement regarding Gareth, who she knew. She said Gareth was a target of an international intelligence organization with links into 6-5 and the agency. Their hallmark is bizarre assassinations, which act as a warning to insiders and assets to keep quiet and toe the line. Similar bizarre assassinations of intelligence insiders come to mind. Jonathan Moyle found hanging naked inside a wardrobe with a pillowcase over his head. Stephen Milligan, MP, found naked with a bag over his head and laid his stockings on. Stephen also had an orange thrust into his mouth and a flex tied around his throat. James Rusbridger was found dressed in nothing but oilskins and, and a gas mask with a rope connecting his neck <clears throat> and ankles to pulleys. All these intelligence assassinations have strange sexual overtones tied to them, making their deaths even more harrowing, says Andrea to me. No one is ever apprehended for these crimes and no one ever will be because the assassins and assassinations are state sanctioned. And that is what Andrea believes. And Andrea worked at uh, Vauxhall Secret Services and, as I say, appeared in my film, Paedophiles in Parliament. So I think, yes, it's a very old tactic, they're saying in the comments, absolutely. So I think rest in peace, Gareth Williams, clearly not getting any justice anytime soon. And this, <clears throat> excuse me, this is the point when we bring in Gemma Cooper and I will be back shortly with her. Talk that matters. For once, we just need to do what's best for this damn country and not what's best for the world. Today's News Talk Radio, TNT. Lovely to see you this morning, Gemma. How are you? Yeah, very well, thank you. I mean, I saw that headline over the weekend and I did rather think, why on earth have they bothered to 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 drag this story out again? Because all it does is focus everybody's attention on the entire weirdness of that case. And everybody remembers that story here in the UK, and I'm sure it did the rounds globally, even of a man in a holdall that was padlocked from the outside who dismembered himself effectively. You know, it was some sort of autoerotic or some kind of fetish. I mean, fair play to the coroner for speaking out. I mean, the coroner does have a lot of power and coroners have a lot of sway in the UK and they they don't pull their punches when they say something it goes on public record but it's a bit like you know do you remember the weapons of mass destruction dossier that the, you know the BBC got into all that trouble about Dr David Kelly apparently slashed his own wrists in the woods you know and everyone went what oh. you know everybody knew that was a, a, was a was a fake as well that was a state operation to shut him up um he had no intention of committing suicide he was going for a walk i think he was walking the dog and he never came back because uh, he knew too much and this is this is you know it's fascinating to hear uh, your source there who now lives in South America talking about these operatives of, you know, deep state and state-sanctioned killings and the way they're dressed up to look like some weird sexual fetish gone wrong. Well, it's rather too many, aren't they? And there's, there's rather too many patterns and they think we don't see through it, but we do. We do. We absolutely do. You know, I, I do wonder why they've dredged it up again. That's what so I thought that. I thought, why have you brought this back into the public domain to say nothing to see here when we're all going, well, there clearly is. There clearly is something to see here and everyone's now talking about it again. 
Absolutely. I also thought the same thing as well. Suspicious minds, eh? This is journalism for you. But I think also the the way that these people are killed, there is like a final humiliation to them, isn't it? It's like, okay, we're now just going to humiliate you so you can't defend yourself. And uh, it's, it's a tactic. It's clearly a tactic. There are obviously questions here. Somebody like Colin Sutton, brilliant cop, um, a good cop. <laughs> and it's weird to have to say that, isn't it? But Colin's absolutely brilliant. I've interviewed him a number of times. And, uh, and again, he was in no doubt that there was this tension that existed between the secret services and the police. The police simply weren't given all the information that they needed in order to be able to conduct a thorough investigation. And that was blocked by the secret services. Yeah, I mean, in a case like this, the police would be the last to know, wouldn't they? You know, yeah. it's on a very much a, a need to know basis when it's a, when it's something like this. But you kind of think it's something out of a James Bond film. But then when you look at Ian Fleming and the James Bond novels, you know, and, and the research that's been done on those, Mark Devlin, actually here in the UK, the author, he's done quite a lot of research on the uh, the James Bond novels and how much of that actually was insider information, a bit like 1984 and all those kind of things and Brave New World, those books. There's a lot of truth. In, in the James mm. Bond stuff. It's not just all dressed up as glamour and put on the big screen or put in a novel. It, that, you know, that secret service operations are, are, are strange. <laughs> They're strange establishment weirdness, probably dreamed up in public schools across the UK. You know, I don't know, but, it, you know, that's not even the story I was going to talk about today, but there's so much to it. There is so much there to the way. There is so much to it. I, I hope one day you and I can really unpack um, the sort of relationship between the secret services and government because it's so interesting. And I think you are the perfect person to have that conversation with just because the way your mind works, which is brilliant, clearly. So what are you here to talk about today? Well, I mean, it's the ongoing story, isn't it? Uh, the, the manhunt is now in its fourth day. I was just discussing it with uh, with Dean Mackin an hour ago about the, the hunt for Abdul Shakul Azidi, uh, the, the corrosive substance attacker who stood on the run uh, after uh, attacking a 31-year-old woman and two children last week. Um, and one of the big things that came out, obviously, about this, this it was that he converted to Christianity, and that's what got him uh, leave to appeal to stay in the country after two asylum uh, applications were rejected. He's from Afghanistan. He's an Afghan national. Um, and it's emerged uh, that over the last 24 hours that uh, many migrants are using this tactic to stay in the UK. And on the very controversial Bibby Stockholm barge moored off the coast of Dorset, there are one in seven uh, of the 300 migrants on that barge are attending local church services under the supervision of local Christian elders uh, to convert to Christianity, which means they can't then be deported back to their home countries because if you're Christian in those countries, you will face serious persecution. So today, uh, as this has all come to light, or, you know, this, that's how this attacker got to stay in the UK because he converted to Christianity. Uh, the Home Secretary is expected to receive a uh, report drafted in the wake of these uh, uh, revelations um, and to question the validity of religious conversions. And, you know, should we change the law? Should he change the law uh, and tighten up the conversion claims? Um, and also, should he change the law to enable immediate deportation for foreign nationals if they're convicted of crimes, especially sex crimes, because this guy who's on the run was convicted of uh, sexual assault and exposure two years prior to having his asylum claim approved by by a, a tribunal because of his religious conversion. So there's there's a whole issue that's around this now 
Um, uh, James Cleverly will receive this report in a few hours' time, our Home Secretary. Some ministers, a former minister, has come out over this and said that this whole religious conversion thing is a scam. Uh, but some church elders are saying, no, 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 these people are genuine. They are giving their lives over to Jesus Christ. They are repenting of any sins they may have committed, and they are fully committed to the Christian faith. Now, those are the two sides of the argument. I think that the actions of this one person, and it is one person, uh, would dispel uh, any notion that he was behaving in a particularly Christian manner last week when he attacked this 31-year-old woman. She's received life-changing injuries. The children, she's still in a critical condition in hospital. The children's injuries are not as bad as hers. Um, but, the, you know, the, the, it's a huge debate about uh, religious values, religious faith. Can religion in itself be enough of a defence uh, to, to have somebody uh, come over to, to British society and embrace UK values? Uh, or is it, as some are saying, just a scam uh, to enable people to stay in the UK, enjoy the UK way of life, and then and then behave as they want? And it does raise the question, even if the law is tightened up as a result of this report, which James Cleverly will read today, and if, if as the Home Secretary, he decides to make changes in the law, and, you know, how do you monitor it? Do you follow people around 24 hours a day to make sure they're behaving in accordance with Christian values? Or how is, how is it possible that this is, you know, Going, you can tighten the law, but how do you monitor behaviour? How do you monitor if the law is actually working? Because by definition, somebody has to commit an offence again to to show that they're not adhering to what they say they're adhering to. It's it's a it's a funny one. So this is going to uh, rumble on. The guy's still on the run, as we know. There's a twenty thousand pound reward now for any information that leads to his arrest. He's extremely dangerous. Everyone in the UK is saying if you come across him, don't approach him. Just call nine 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 and let the police do their job. Uh, so that's where we are with this this morning. It raises a whole question about faith and authenticity, uh, and it remains to be seen what the Home Secretary is likely to do. I'm so glad you've opened that up, Gemma. I heard you talking with Dean and about how you have this synchronicity where you just both seem to be on the same page about topics and et cetera, because I will be talking with our, our first guest about this situation and not exactly about what you've been talking about, but about importing other cultures. How are we to get along? Can we work side by side? And I must admit, when you said to me about these 40 asylum seekers converting, the cynic in me was like, yeah, right. I, I struggle to believe that that is legitimate. I, I truly do. That sounds absolutely like a way to stay. And of course, they involve religious elders. Whenever did they not, eh? you know, to, to get involved in, in schemes like this. But it is troubling, isn't it? Because... I mean, essentially, they're they're. Is it like they're wiping their? Is the idea that they're wiping their slate clean? Because I didn't realise that was one of the issues that would enable you to be able to stay here if you converted to Christianity. That was a surprise to me. Well, it is. It is what what Christian uh, church elders are saying in this country is. You know, if somebody wants to convert to Christianity, it is a question of you know you're literally washed clean. You you are you convert to Christianity. You give your life to Jesus Christ. You're absolved of previous sins, and you live then in accordance with the Christian faith. And many Christian church leaders are saying they believe these asylum seekers. They absolutely do. They, they they're taking them on good faith. They're taking them on uh, on on face value that they they actually want to convert. And some people have converted before they 
come here. They convert in their home countries, then come over. Uh, some people do the Alpha course when they get here, that, that quite controversial Christian course that some people have done. I think Bear Grylls, didn't he, the, the TV presenter in this country, he's done the Alpha course. And it, that, that comes with a lot of uh, controversy within the Christian faith. Some people like it, some people don't. Um, but the, yeah, the, the whole idea is you're absolved of your sins and you, you live in a Christian way. Uh, it's how you monitor it, because this is exactly what this uh, man who's on the run, you know, Abdul Shakur Azidi, he, he converted to the Christian faith, but look at his behavior. Look at his behavior. Is that a Christian way to behave? So it's how you monitor this kind of um, conversion process. And also, yeah, it is a, a very good get out of jail free card. You can't go back to many countries will really will under religious uh, laws persecute you if you're a Christian. So, of course, nobody wants to deport somebody back knowing that. Um, so, yeah, is it a scam that some are saying or is it is it legitimate? You know, we can let we can let TNT audience decide that one. We can let the Home Secretary decide that one. He's due to read this report in just a few hours time. Thank you so much, Gemma. Very much appreciated as ever. And we will see you tomorrow. Everybody, Gemma Cooper will be back shortly. TNT's Abby Roberts. So this is the headline in The Guardian. Pleasure of sex is a gift from God, but avoid porn. Pope advises. What is it with religious people and sex? Isn't there anything else that's 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 more important to worry about? And this is what uh, this is what Pope Francis uh, say. I'm gonna I'm gonna read it in an Italian accent just to be even more offensive. Sexual pleasure is a gift from God, but Catholics must avoid pornography. Pope Francis has said. The pontiff. Oh, I will tell you what though, he was all for giving people lots of pricks during 2021. Bloody hell, mRNA's fine, but just not porn. Abby Roberts on TNT. Radio works because of its ability to personalize to the listener. What's exciting these days is that people are rediscovering it. You know, people are really rediscovering just how powerful radio is, how ubiquitous it is. It's in our cars, it's in our homes. There are so many new ways to access it. It's everywhere. To find out more, go to tntradio.live. It's time to switch on today's News Talk Radio. Very entertaining. Yeah. TNT. And here we are back, and I'm here with commentator Jack David, who's joining me this morning for the news review, and we have some stories to get through. We truly do. We're going to start with the devastating story of Brianna Jai. It's a very sensitive story, but I felt that if anybody could have a sensitive conversation with me about it, it would be Jack. Welcome, Jack. Thank you for joining us this morning. Morning. You okay? I'm good, thank you. This is a terrible, terrible story. For those who aren't familiar, uh, Brianna Jai, 16-year-old British um, transgender girl from Birchwood in Warrington, was murdered in a premeditated attack fatally stabbed in a park in Warrington. Um, on Friday, the judge sentenced the murderers and made the decision to reveal their identity. They are Scarlett Jenkinson and Eddie Ratcliffe. They were both aged 15 at the time. They were arrested the next day and eventually charged and convicted of murder. And uh, they've uh, been sentenced with a minimum of 22 years for Jenkinson and 20 years for Ratcliffe before being eligible for parole. And the court decided that the offence was primarily motivated by sadistic tendencies with hate against transgender people as a secondary motive. This is a terrible story, Jack. It's awful. It's just awful, isn't it? It just it's got echoes of Jamie Bulger. Um, and I hope this, you know, lessons have been learned from that. 
um, and these these people don't get out. In all honesty, though, I think I think it's the minimum term, isn't it? So twenty two years and twenty years. So that would be the starting point for them. So any appeal from there wouldn't be quick either. I think they're, they're more than likely going to spend thirty years of their lives in jail. So they're going to be older than me by the time they get out. I mean, it, it's so awful. It 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 brings up so many issues here, and that is, it brings up obviously issues of transgenderism, about uh, the dark web about what is happening to young people, about the, the the sadistic nature of this pair. And one of the things that I found so objectionable right from the beginning, Jack, was how people sought to use this murder politically. And it was really awful. My heart goes out to the, all the families involved, the, even the families of the murderers, because that would be horrendous as well. But, but poor Brianna's parents, absolutely horrendous. But politically, immediately, people were leaping in and saying, this is a transgender hate um, murder. And others were saying, no, it was not. Because actually, throughout the court hearing, the judge was was actually going know. in the direction of if this wasn't about trans hate. And at the end, the, the summing up and the sentencing, suddenly that changed. Well, they tried to make it as clear as possible, you know, all throughout. But like you said, it was always going to happen. But it was almost like this poor kid was being used as a prop for people's arguments. And I've done my best to try and stay out of it because I think those poor parents have been through enough. And like you said, it's not it's not just the, you know, Brianna's parents. It's the parents from the other kids as well. I'm sure they're absolutely devastated. They've lost their kids, too. So I've tried to stay out of it as much as possible. But to see some of the things I've seen online. And like I said to you yesterday, I've seen it from both sides now as well. And it's sickening, you know, it is a life, it's a child's life. This is a, the most horrendous, horrendous crime I've, to read the notes from the trial was was just awful. And the judge's final comments, it's straight out of a movie, uh, something that you only ever expect to see on TV or in a film. And I think, I think we can all just do better than, than using a child's life as, like I said, as a prop for your mm. argument, your political, you know, your political points scoring. Completely agree. Do you think it was right to reveal the identity of the pair? It's it's weird because at first I said, yeah, because I think that, you know, people should be aware of who it is. But then when you read the actual notes from the trial and, you know, and you look into the, the girl in particular, she looks like a classic serial killer. She wants the notoriety of it. And now she's got what she wants. She's almost got this fame, hasn't she? She's already made another list of people that she wants to kill while she's been you know, in custody of all the people who've been looking after her. This is someone who's clearly disturbed. And have we made a hero out of this person? So, you know, in the eyes of some, that's the problem. Uh, and it is a problem, as you absolutely say. She has a, she already has another kill list. I mean, let's be real. These were two sick individuals, and my worry is, of course, that you always have people with agendas, organisation with agendas, who use people's misery. So, for example, uh, Brianna's mum was on BBC yesterday talking about, you know, basically censoring internet, and th this is always a, a problem, right? Because. Clearly, Brianna was also a very troubled individual, a 16-year-old male who presented as female, was self-harming and clearly had problems. And in fact, the three of them met up on that Saturday, I think, to take drugs. So they were all clearly three struggling people. And so Brianna's mum appeared. And I think it's always very difficult when somebody has been through such a trauma, such as uh, Mrs. Jai, and awful, absolutely 
absolutely awful, no doubt about it. And immediately wants, you know, this kind of harsh uh, uh, punishing of take this away and take that away. But the, not every child is the same. Not every teenager is the same. And I'm not sure blanket bans on internet is really the way forward for these things. What do you think? Well, I see what you mean. Um, I, I'm shocked that it's so easy for them to find this type of stuff. Like, right. they, you know, they, they they were actually on sites where it, it teaches you how to kill people. I, to, to think this even exists is crazy. But Brianna herself was visiting websites um, to, you know, to tips on self-harming and eating you know eating disorders and stuff and it's it's crazy to think it's out there i do get what you're saying because it's censorship is a very slippery slope the minute it comes in you know what it's like you give any government any sort of power we've seen that over the last three years right. but i do think we have to start looking after kids a little bit but it must be so I, i'm not a parent myself but i can't even imagine how difficult it is for parents now to try and keep their kids on the wraps with, with the internet in particular because like i said i wouldn't know where to find this sort of stuff on the right. internet. And the fact that 14-year-olds and 15-year-olds do is scary. So, so where do they get the information where to look for it in the first place? Where is it coming from? They need to look into yeah. it. Absolutely. The dark web is awful. I'm not for a second suggesting that we leave the dark web up and as it is, it's horrendous. My worry is, like you say, a slippery slope. The moment we start yeah. banning A, it will lead them to ban B, C and D, which they are desperate to do. We know that. And so I, I do think it is it is problematic. And do, do you think that what these children have done, because they were, to me, a 15 year old is a child, right? But you do yeah. know the difference between wrong and right from a very early age. My daughter knew the difference between wrong and right from a matter of just years old I think you do right so I, I, I'm not going to make any excuses for them at all but do you think that it, it's, it's a statement about our society or just about those individuals I think our society has just got more vicious and violent in general hasn't it but uh, you, you know from a very young age I'd say from you know 10 years old you know if you kill someone you're doing something wrong you know, 100%, you know, so these kids knew what they were doing, but there's something in their brains that doesn't click the same way as everybody else is to say, don't do this. You know, one of them, it, it very much looks to me like, you know, he was besotted by her and following her um, to a certain degree. She seems to be the one that really enjoys this. Um, but how we how we've got here with kids i don't know i for what um brianna's mum was saying in terms of you know could we look to maybe have kid mobile phones you know where there's certain things like so for instance you know if a parent would get an alert if there were certain keywords were searched for i don't think that's a terrible idea um I, if i had kids there would be nowhere near social media and absolutely nowhere near cesspits like tiktok and stuff like that no chance but good point let me just let me just hold you there if i may let's quickly go to the news headlines we will be back shortly and we'll be continuing this conversation Turn on the news. I have a little news flash. TNT Radio News. Matt Boyland here with a look at your TNT headlines. US fighter jets have bombed over 100 targets in three countries across the Middle East this weekend, marking a significant escalation in a conflict Washington claims it's trying to defuse. The world's top podcaster Joe Rogan has signed a new contract with Spotify worth a quarter of a billion dollars. And US House Republicans have slammed a draft border security deal released by the Senate that would also unlock over $100 billion for Ukraine and Israel. 
Why not give TNT Radio a follow? We're on all major social platforms, including Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, Gab, and Getter. Help us get the word out as we cover the biggest topics of our time right here on today's News Talk. TNT Radio. TNT Radio. I'm just here with Jack David, commentator, and we're just discussing the absolutely horrendous murder of poor Brianna Jai. It's absolutely awful. Whichever side you stand on, whether you want to talk about Brianna still being a boy, regardless of whether she's dead or whatever, it is a tragedy. It is a tragedy. Parents have lost their children. And um, Jack, what you were just saying is we really have to be so careful, don't we, with children in the in Internet. Parents need to stop handing their children over to iPads to babysit them. It really needs to start very, very early. Children too young are getting access to smartphones, in my opinion. Well, they're just sat on screens all the time, aren't they? Um, but yeah, things like TikTok, if you look at, well, you can't look at Chinese TikTok, but it's completely different over there. It's all drilled towards education. You, you do, there's none of the stuff that you see on ours, but if you go onto TikTok now, it's a literal cesspit of terrible, terrible information that you wouldn't want your children reading or getting involved with or watching. You know, and it's this little short blast of video. It's like dopamine for them, isn't it? It's like click, 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 click. But they're just, I'd, I'd get them away from it, honestly. I wouldn't have them anywhere near it. I completely agree with you. So say uh, all of us. Now, let us talk about something that Gemma was referring to, and that is the Metropolitan Police have put up a £20,000 reward leading to the arrest of Abdul Azidi. Abdul Azidi has been urged by police to hand himself in after going on the run following the attack involving a corrosive alkaline substance in Clapham, which southwest London last Wednesday. Twelve people were injured, including a mother and her two daughters, aged three and eight. All three remain in hospital with the mother's injuries thought to be life changing. And Azidi and the mother were in a relationship. And as Gemma was telling us, this is um, somebody who has converted to Christianity, apparently. He was uh, he was a failed asylum seeker twice over, Jack. And one of the reasons I wanted to have this conversation with you is you tweeted an interesting tweet. You said the far left say the problem is misogyny, not immigrants, conveniently forgetting the vast majority of immigrants coming to this country at an alarming rate view women as property and second class citizens. So I think there is room, absolutely, Jack, to ask you know, given that we do have mass uncontrolled immigration, are we importing people with the same values as us? No, um, because, you know, that video that you showed me yesterday was it's just horrifying. Like rape is almost a culture in, to some of these people. It's almost like a way of right. But we're at a pivotal moment in this country right now where we've got, like you said, we've got completely uncontrolled immigration people with no documents whatsoever. And we've seen the videos where they're throwing them before they get here. You know, a lot of these people do set off with documents, but it's easier to get in here without them, believe it or not. But we're at a pivotal moment where we're now debating whether we do go down gender ID. You know, so you just identify however you want and you walk into a women's safe space. At the same time, we're bringing undocumented migrants here who, you know, we don't, we don't know their background. At the end of the day, this guy was... Well, he was refused um, immigrate. Uh, sorry, uh, asylum twice. But I think that was. I'm sure that was on the basis that he was he was a uh, convicted sex offender. Yes. But he still managed to get. He still managed to be here. So what on earth are they doing to keep us safe over here? If if someone like that can still slip through the net, it doesn't even slip the net. Someone like that can actually legally stay here. 
then we've got no chance. We've got absolutely yes. no chance. And the video I showed you yesterday was of, uh, forgotten his name again, Ross, um, who Kemp. used to be in e yeah Ross Kemp, who used to be in EastEnders, and he does a program for Sky where he talks to various gangs. And he was talking to some African guys from a gang, and they were talking about raping women. And the last thing on their mind was how it made the woman feel. They were worried about waking people up. They were worried about getting her pregnant. They were worried about catching uh, diseases from the woman. Not once did they have any consideration of how it made the woman feel. And we have to because we've got enough thugs of our own, right, Jack? Yeah. We, you know, 100%. and we're not dealing with them well, are we? And so no. this, I think, is, is an interesting story, but it's happening all over. And I'm wondering whether there clearly there has to be an agenda to allow so much uncontrolled uh, migration. They could stop it in a heartbeat if they wanted to. Do you think it's an agenda? I'm starting to. Um, after the last three years, you know, we've seen everything is for our safety. You know, everything is for you. So that's how you get it in. You know, it's for the greater good. Um, it feels like now that in a not too distant future, this will be completely out of control. And then the only way to deal with it will be, you know, a digital ID. And then we know where, where everyone is at all times. So it's just easy to keep an eye on everyone. But what's the point in everyone in this country having digital ID if the people coming in we know nothing about? It makes no difference. You give an ID to someone you still don't know anything about at the end of the day, you're just giving them a new ID. But it doesn't solve the problem of who they are, what they've done, what their intentions are when they get here. And, you know, they might not be coming with the best intentions. It's very difficult, isn't it? We don't either, and it's also impossible to guesstimate what the figures are exactly. The most recent study in 2017 estimated that between 594,000 and 745,000 um, people were entering the country without documents. And so you can guess it's probably double that for a start, right, yeah. straight away. So obviously these are real problems. And I just wonder, I'm a, a multicultural child. I love multiculturalism. It's one of the reasons I live in London. I like to be able to walk down the street and the Turkish shop is open at three o'clock in the morning. And I love all that stuff. But I think there comes a point when we have to allow people to ask questions and not just be deemed as bigots for asking exactly. questions. And that is a problem, isn't it? People have been silenced as well, haven't they, Jack? Yeah, 100%. And the, the biggest problem I think we've got in this country right now is that we forgot how to disagree with each other. So you you are you are now so tribal, you either agree or you don't. And if you're in tribe A and you don't agree with what tribe A is saying, you're kicked out to tribe B straight away. Anyone who is not, you know, is not uh, far left is far right. It's as simple as that. There is no middle ground anymore. No one can disagree. You know, you can have a different opinion and still be on the same side without being a bigot and a racist and, you know, all these other terms that they throw around. But yes, you have to be able to have the conversation. We do. We absolutely do. So, as I say, the Metropolitan Police offering a reward of £20,000 for the capture of Abdul Azidi. Do not approach him. If you see him, do not approach him. There is an image of him. That's the last image. That's him entering King's Cross Tube Station about 9pm um, on January the 31st. That's the last known image of him. Right, Jack, tell me, there was a story that you were deeply concerned about as a gay man. Uh, to do with the CPS. What's that about? Well, the CPS have been in cahoots with um, Stonewall and Mermaids, um, basically to blur the lines of sex and gender when it comes to, uh, you know, co uh, consent to sex. So in this country right now, 
to to give proper consent to have sex with someone, you've got to know what sex they are. Okay. So what they're looking to do is to blur that. So let me just read you the core criticisms of the consultation. So there was an uncritical adoption to ideological terms and concepts such as genderqueer and assigned at birth. You know my feelings on that. Uh, an incoherent approach to policy with a test with, with a test of how well someone has been living as a man or a woman, or whether they've attained a gender recognition uh, recognition certificate, deciding whether or not they get to decide whether they get prosecuted. So in other words, if you've lived successfully enough as a woman, but you are a man, and then you've tricked another woman into bed then it would then be up for interpretation on how well you did it, how, how well did you trans, how, it, it, which is just absolutely ridiculous. There was also, uh, it highlighted the victim blaming within it. Did the victim close their eyes to the obvious? So did, did, you, did, you, you know, did you know that they were trans and you've just sort of gone along with it? You know, did you miss the signs? It's, it's ridiculous. Um, the Scary. Well, the, the worst thing is, is that they tried to keep it secret. They kept trying to keep it secret for a reason. So the, they said that it would effectively, con it would con if they did any consultations in the future, it would likely discourage organisations from participating with a CPS. But they also were majorly concerned about Stonewall having to basically go public with why why they think, you know, so in other words, the state CPS are saying Stonewall and Murrowades are setting out the rape policy views would cause issues for them because they'd have to sell the public. Dear you know, Lord. So the Crime exactly. Prosecution Service is supporting sex by deception. That is a yeah. horrendous, horrendous thing. Jack, thank you so much for joining us this morning with your sensitive and thoughtful take on some incredibly difficult stories. Everybody, Jack David, commentator. I will be back shortly. But before I go, I just want to say last December, Julian Assange's two-day public hearing was announced for February 20th and 21st at the UK High Court to determine whether Julian will have permission to appeal or whether he will be extradited to the United States. Well, as we said on Friday, TNT will be at the Royal Courts of Justice broadcasting and covering the entire two days if required. Then TNT will broadcast from various locations throughout London. Yes, indeed, we are lighting the fuse for freedom on today's News Talk TNT. Be right. Give me a minute with TNT Radio's Steve Malsberg. Ladies and gentlemen, it's the end of the week. So how about a little dose of Joe Biden at his best to get you through the weekend? Folks, um, uh, I, uh, if I were smart, I'd say thank you and leave. There's asylum, off asylum officers and over 100 cutting edge inspe inspection machines to help detect and stop fentanyl coming out of our southwest border. Greedflation, shrinkflation. You see that article about the Snickers bar? Well, it's going to stop. America, we're tired of being played for suckers. We get thousands. Look, we, we, you know, we now have, we used to, before the recession, before the, the pandemic, the beer brewed here, <laughs> it is used to make the brew beer in this refinery. Oh, Earth Rider, thanks for the Great Lakes. I wonder why it's going cost 10 bucks to make it. 10 bucks to make it. We'll teach Donald Trump a, a valuable lesson. Don't mess with the women on Now, normally this would be humorous, funny, you know? But this is a man who's president of the United States and looking for four more years on the job. It's frightening. Thanks for giving me a minute. I'm Steve Malsberg. Catch my show 
Monday through Friday, 9 p.m. Eastern Time, right here on TNT. She used to dance and dream of a better life, a brighter future. Today, thanks to Children International and friends like you, she dances for the world. Together, we give children in poverty a chance to set their sights high and achieve their dreams. Learn more about Children International and join us in our life-changing work at children.org today. TNT, Sonia Poulton and today's News Talk, TNT. Just reading your comments. Please keep them coming in. We always appreciate them. Catherine Hutton says, I'm so glad we were able to reverse the indoctrination and exploitation my daughter was put through by the education system. And I've been in touch with Kath before, and it was absolutely horrendous what the school were trying to do. The school were basically transing her child behind her back. Absolutely horrendous. But because Kath is a strong parent, she took hold of that tiller and steered that ship to safety. Well done. Well done, Kath. Lord Melbury said, it's the Callaghy plan in action. Yes, indeed. Listen to what Sir Peter Sutherland said all those years ago. Indeed, indeed. And now let me just say this, and that is, this is a further call, so let's rally the troops. Do you have an upcoming community event, rally, march, festival, or fundraiser that could do with some free publicity? TNT wants to promote that with you. And uh, simply visit the What's On events calendar on the TNT website, submit your event details, and we will get the word out. Because you know why we are helping to make a difference on today's News Talk TNT. And I'm just waiting for my second guest to arrive, and I'm sure he'll be here very, very shortly. And uh, obviously in the UK, the XL bully ban is now in full effect, came in on Thursday. The newspapers, again, they're whipping up hatred towards these dogs. I think it's absolutely horrendous to demonize dogs that I, in my experience, and I am the uh, mother of a psycho dog from uh, Romania. She was found on the street in Romania. There were, I think, five or six of them. They were crawling in and out of a bucket, taking it in turns to keep warm, these little puppies. And our lovely girl, as they named her at the shelter, she came to live with us now, I think it's three years ago. And she was feral. There was no getting around it. She was wild, but bit by bit with love and patience and stability, she's come through it. It is not easy uh, being a dog owner, even when you've got, you know, some little uh, hand-reared pooch who is no issue, but certainly, you know, the bigger dogs like the XL bullies, for example, but what they're doing to these XL bully dogs is absolutely obscene. And it's, it's not justified. It's, the figures do not justify it. But what they're obviously, what the newspapers are doing, it clearly it's an agenda because when they turn on one specific breed like that, you have to know it is an agenda. And indeed it is. Now, let me just look at, see what else I've got in front of me today. Um, and uh, oop, just bear with me. I think we are still waiting for my guest. You know, it's Monday morning. Um, and uh, these things happen, don't they, on live uh, on live shows? Yes, indeed, they do. So let's uh, go and see what you're saying in the comments. Oops, Biden, you're old. Oh, what's this? Um, they're having a full-on laugh in the chat. Let me go to the news headlines while I'm just waiting for our guest to join, and we can work through them together. And uh, so it's a... 
Do you know, I think it's really interesting. In the, in the UK, we have the two main newspapers, which are The Sun, which is a Rupert Murdoch-owned newspaper, The Daily Mail, which is owned by Associated Press. So I always find that those are quite good newspapers to go to because that's what the majority of people are seeing. That I mean, that is a fact. Of course, they're both two completely compromised newspapers. I've worked for both of them. I've worked for pretty much every national newspaper going. And when I look at the headlines, the first thing they've got is about Celine Dion. Emotional Celine Dion makes surprise appearance at Grammys amid battle. Well, I remember now Grammys infamously, of course, was um, the on the night before the Grammys, almost always famously, Clive Davis, who uh, was running Arista for many, many years and was the man who discovered Whitney Houston, he has his very famous pre-Grammys party. And I will never recover from the fact that when Whitney Houston, his protege, died, they left her for 11 hours in the hotel suite above the pre-Grammys party, went ahead with the pre-Grammys party. Very weird behaviour that was. And I always think, you know, every time we come around to the Grammys, I always think about Whitney Houston's death because, of course, it was extremely odd, not least that her own daughter died in similar circumstances several years later. Again, very weird behaviour. Whitney was, Whitney was, oh, I think my guest has arrived now. And uh, Whitney, of course, well, while alive, was not profitable because she was a problem. But uh, like Michael Jackson, like Prince after her, um, the moment they die, of course, their music sells over and over again and uh, publishers get to rub, rub their hands together. So I believe, hopefully, I am joined by Alex. Alex, are you there with me? Good morning, Sonia. Oh, good good. Good morning, everybody. It's Alex Mitchell, lovely Alex Mitchell. Alex has been through his own hell. He, Alex, I've talked to an, on a number of occasions, and Alex was a perfectly fine and healthy individual until 2021. He collapsed at home in April 2021 following his AstraZeneca jab in March 2021. He's now classified as VIT, vaccine-induced. You might have to help me with the pronunciation here, Alex. Thrombocytopenia uh, thrombosis. Fantastic. Perfect. Oh, there you go. I gave it my best shot. You were, of course, an amputee from above the knee as a consequence of this. And one of the reasons I wanted to talk to you this morning, and thank you for joining us, one of the reasons I wanted to talk to you, of course, was that Prime Minister Rishi Sunak stood up in the Houses of Parliament last week and doubled down and said absolutely that these COVID-19 jabs are safe. What did you think when you heard him say that? I think that since the April 21 until now, I've heard very variations of the same statements, basically smaller every time. At the beginning, it was the vaccines have saved 20 million lives and they're safe and effective. And then it was hundreds of thousands, millions of lives, then hundreds of thousands. We're now down to again, peace quoting 23,000. I think it's the most disgusting thing I've ever heard, the fact that nearly 200 people have been acknowledged in the UK government. Most of them are dead terribly, tragically because of this vaccine, and he's telling the world that it's still safe, I think it's disgusting. So, so, I mean, for me, this is beyond negligence. This is complicity now. Yes, I think we're heading that way. I don't see any other way. You can't say that this man knows what he's talking about. 
He's a prime minister. He should know what he's talking about. We know it's not safe and effective. They know they're not safe and effective. So why continue with the lie? And yet, Alex, people like yourself, sorry, people like yourself and people who have been bereaved are still not being heard. I mean, he, he only a cursory glance of research would tell him that that statement was categorically untrue. I mean, he could say that it has proved to be, you know, majority safe so far. Right. But to actually categorically state that it's safe when it clearly isn't, when there have been deaths, there have been casualties, there are people who who need assistance to breathe. And you lost a leg, for goodness sake. This is not the hallmarks of a safe vaccine. No, it's not. This is the hallmark of a government who have decided to kick the can down the road as far as they can. You know, it wasn't so long ago the same Prime Minister told them us to go and litigate, knowing fine well that the only option that was available to us is a civil case, which is going to cost millions and millions of pounds. It's a ridiculous setup. I'm heading for coming up for three full years, going into my fourth year of this. I was the first living person acknowledged by the UK government and given an insultory £120,000 for the rest of my life. That's not looking after people. That's not you're being protected. That's not helping us. And to tell us this second time, yes, yeah, a slap in the face. This whole situation on is getting clouded over by various other scandals that are coming to light. How many scandals does it take? How many lives? How many ordinary people have to die before these people stop what they're doing and help us? It seems to me they would rather pay billions in defending what they can't defend. It would, they would rather spend double what it's going to cost to fix it. Not that it can ever be fixed, and it's far too late for, for many of us. Yeah, it, it's truly appalling. I was watching a video um, by ex-cop Mark Sexton yesterday, and Mark was talking about the binding contract between Pfizer and the South African government. And these documents came out um, late last year and as a consequence of a court case. And what Mark was saying, if the British government has signed the same contract with Pfizer, we're even more messed up and screwed than we thought. And uh, Mark was picking out particular aspects of that contract, Alex, things like uh, Pfizer was saying that the C-19 vaccines are for prevention. Well, clearly not, because even, even if you believe in the virus, according to what they've said, it wasn't preventing it, was it? You were still getting the virus, even Ooh. with their vaccination. So already the contract fails there. They admitted in the contract they didn't know the efficacy of the jabbed, a jab. It was produced and ready to put into people's body by force and coercion. Did you feel coerced to take it, Alex? Yes, because it was 24-7 on the TV screen, radio, motorway gantries. It was everywhere. Go and get the vaccine. Go and protect life. Save the NHS. Don't kill granny. Don't hug granny. The level of this is absolutely disgusting. I, I can't begin to even put into words the scale of how bad this is. Because it goes all the way to the Prime Minister, who's still standing up there saying that they're safe. You know, this is a man who's got serious connections to another pharmaceutical firm. How can this be allowed? How can any of this be allowed? 
It's the ordinary people once again whose lives are destroyed unless they pick up the pieces. Yeah, it, it is is an absolute con. What do you think of the COVID inquiry, UK and Scottish COVID inquiry? This is not about getting to the truth, is it? Um, being a co-participant in both of them, representing the Scottish Vaccine Injury Group, um, what I will say is that the Scottish one has been postponed, was postponed because of love vessel uh, health situation. I can understand that. The UK one being postponed until after the election, because that's what it's for, it's to stop the election. Results going against them. It doesn't matter what election they bring now. Every result should be against these people. What they've done to the British people in the name of their pockets is horrific. Do I find it's a thick pocket exercise? Well, given that there's no legislative powers, there's no mandatory powers, there's no legal powers, it's a fact-finding what can we do better exercise. That gives an idea what I think of what, what the public inquiry is going to do. Yeah. I can't. I can't see what it, it's going to do other than to complete the whitewash, really. And I mean, it's such a betrayal for you in so many respects because you did what you told were told was the right thing to do, and not only was it clearly not the right thing for you, and as resulted in you having to pay such an incredibly heavy price. But as you say, you then get this derisory, compensatory amount. What can a hundred and twenty thousand pound do for a man who has lost his ability to conduct his livelihood? And in all essence, it saved my house, saved my home. That's all it did. It didn't save anything else. It didn't provide for anything else. I've got a few questions adapting. And most of the, 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 the Scottish Council seem fit to do offer to fill a lift in and reduce all my house, my house space. Yeah, Alex I, Alex, I hate to say this. We have to cut you, unfortunately, because the line is so bad it's cracking up, which is just horrendous. But I think we've all got the gist of it. The point is, Alex Mitchell is a victim, just like there are other victims. And the British Prime Minister seems to think that it, he can just ignore that these people exist, what they've been through. And it, it is absolutely horrendous. And Alex is one of many. There are people who are dead and, you know, and people who are bereaved. And it, it, it's absolutely wrong. And this document, this Pfizer document, was really telling because it was all the things that we know has existed. And that is, they've basically been given immunity. But when you look back over that four-year period, some of it feels like a dream state, doesn't it? It feels like it didn't really happen. Like, I, I, I'm sure you watched people behave in a way that seemed completely unlike them. I mean, there were people around me who I thought I knew until COVID. And then suddenly they were much more uh, prepared to comply and acquiesce to these absolute, you know, crazy rules that didn't make any sense. And I, maybe it's because I'm a journalist, maybe because I have, I've seen so much, I've seen so much corruption, I've seen so many lies that I did not take it at face value. And in fact, I tweeted, 11 days before British lockdown in March 2020 that people should stop getting into a panic because I I don't know where you are, but did you have people 
in supermarkets, like stocking up on loo rolls. There was an absolute madness taking place here. And all the news headlines were capturing these people stocking up. And everybody, not everybody, but lots of people were like in it for themselves. They were like, yes, I've got 32 loo rolls in my shopping cart, but so what? It was that sort of attitude. And it was really awful to witness it and just to see a different side to people and what people actually get like when they get in that sort of prepper stage, which actually reminds me of something else. And that is, I once went to Arizona and camped out with a prepper and um, we caught snake together and we killed it. Not suggesting for a second that when they come up with the next uh, pandemic that you start killing snakes or worms in your garden. But point being, it is always good to be prepared, isn't it? It's always good to be prepared because, you know, I think it is important if you make sure that you at least keep some supplies, keep tinned goods. You just you just don't know ever what's going to happen. And that is not to alarm anybody at all. But preparation is always a good thing. And I would just like to say thank you so much to everybody today. It's Monday. We've got past Monday, which is always a great thing. Thank you to my guests for the illuminating discourse that we've had this morning or this evening, wherever you are on some incredibly sensitive topics, whether that's immigration or the death of a child. I would like to think that my guests handled these things with, with great sensitivity, and uh, and I believe that we did. And it's a pity we had to cut off uh, Alex, but there you go, that's what happens sometimes with uh, poor phone lines. And I just want to thank everybody. Thank you to all the team, and I will see you tomorrow.